Vodka. 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 Vodka Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love of Vodka O'Clock Podcast and AmberUnmasked.com. This episode will contain some mature content because we're going to be talking about things like relationships and maybe some sex. So if you're under 18, you've been warned and you should probably check out Scarlet Teen instead, which I know is what my guest recommends. So Cunning Minx is back here and she is able to cover two of the things I like to discuss, writing and relationships. And I really wanted to have a sex positive discussion with somebody who uh, is in the public eye where it doesn't seem nearly as invasive and because she talks about sex positive subjects all the time, uh, she's here as an educator as well as an author and a person that I'm happy to talk to at any time. So um, just to, you know, give you guys a briefing of what's going to be going on. So welcome back. Cunning Minx is here. Yay. <laughs> Hi there. Hey. Hi, guys. So- so I looked it up, and you haven't been on the show. You were back on, on uh, in 2011 when we talked about geeky fantasies, geeky sex fantasy things. Okay, it was just terrible. I don't even remember that. <laughs> that was so long ago. 2011? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, wow. So what did we talk about? Did we talk about, like, Firefly and Captain Hammer and I want to do Mal? <laughs> Captain Mal. <laughs> I don't even know if we it talked about Firefly. Yeah. Well, I don't, we talked about, um, we did talk about dressing up and role playing and, um, you know, how somebody can introduce those ideas into the bedroom and stuff like that. Always fun. Always fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was, it's, it's this cool thing where I feel like I can, there's any topic I can bring up to you, except, I don't know, maybe car mechanics. You know, like, there's, I feel like there's anything I can talk about and you'll have some sort of knowledge on it. Sporting, sporting events, sports of any kind, sporting events of any kind, um, popular music, I'm woefully deficient, so you can really stump me with those. Okay. I am, I'm pretty bad at that, too. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, your show is called Poly Weekly, and where you discuss things that are involved in the polyamory community. And so if people don't know what that is, that's um, a lifestyle of non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, you would hope. Not always. So um, I, I think I looked up that your episode 392 is like your poly 101. Like that. Uh, I don't know. You know what, in a sense... Almost every episode's Poly 101, and every episode's Poly 201, and Poly 301. It just kind of depends on what we're covering. Um, but uh, yeah, we just uh, we have a lot of listener-driven content. So whatever people write in and ask to hear more about is what we cover. Uh, sometimes it's just things that have come up during the week, either through news items or in my own Poly relationship. So you know, after a couple hundred episodes, it's like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do whatever I want and whatever the listeners are asking for, and. Um, and it does. It, it covers all level. I mean, it to an extent, I, I was joking, but to an extent, almost everything we cover is kind of basic and almost everything could fall in the 101 category um, because, you know, almost everything can be solved with communication. Almost everything can be solved by instead of writing me with your problem, talking to your partner about it. Um, and yet 
it's just really scary to do that. And so people kind of need an idea of how to approach it. Uh, and, and just, you know, the encouragement that, you know, you just really, it's, 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 it's going to be tough, but it's going to be really great if you bring this up with your partner. Uh, so yeah, that, that's why, yeah, that's why it's like every year I sort of do like a, my favorite things of the year list. I don't say best of because I don't, I'm not exposed to that much. So I just say, Oh, well, these are my favorite things. And so I always put Polly weekly on there, like, um, like sex nerd Sandra, because it talks about communication. It's, not so much about these are what you do to genitals. It's it's about how you get along. Yeah, and, there, and by the way, there are a lot of sites that will do that for you. Um, there there are a lot of how-to videos and websites and all kinds of great content that will walk you through those things. Uh, I just kind of figure that for most people, the hardest part is bringing it up <laughs> and asking for it and uh, and and dealing with the repercussions when maybe the first time it doesn't go so great. So I, I think that's a lot harder than actually trying the thing. And, and the reason that the communication is so very cool and why when I'm recommending your show, I try to tell people, and I don't know if they're if anybody has anxiety about listening to a show just because there's sex talk and sex subjects in there, but you even talk about it in your new book, which we're going to talk about, that the way that you approach your relationships is the same as like when you're working on a project management team or with any kind of team setting. It's like these are all individuals that have to come together. They're in each other's lives and they need to, you know, get through life. So even if you're not identifying in any capacity as non-monogamous, then it's, you still learn a lot. I think, from these kind of shows. Well, thank you. And actually, um, to be fair, half of our audience identifies as monogamous. And I get emails from monogamous all the time that say, hey, you know, what they, that, you know, that this enriched their own monogamous relationship. Some of them, you know, are kind of polycurious or they like to be poly. But, you know, after listening to the podcast, they decided not to be poly because they're like, yeah, no, that sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. (laughs) 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 Which I think is great because... Uh, you know, I, yeah, better better to know before you. you as long as it's yeah. a conscious choice, as opposed to a societal default. You know, if if you're monogamous because you don't think there's any other option, um, then you know, I, 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 a lot of people do make the conscious choice to be monogamous, or maybe they self-identify as poly and say, you know what, because of the way my relationship is structured, I can't be actively poly. But it's nice to know that it's there. So one of my sayings is, uh, what would monogamists do? Um, I, the, I find that the longer that I do the podcast, the more I discover that the the guidelines for poly relationships are 99% the same as for monogamous relationships. Now, sometimes you might have to substitute best friend or favorite uncle instead of, you know, lover or partner. Sure. Um, but the same rules of communication apply and kindness and compassion and consideration. It's just that we we sometimes forget that. <laughs> we think we have to make up new rules and we have to do everything from scratch and reinvent the wheel. And the truth is that most of it is very similar to what you do in monogamous relationships. If the person has a, you know, mother-in-law or a best friend, how would you treat that person in X situation? Most of the time that rule will apply. Yeah. And that's why communication is always like my favorite topic of discussion on on any of the shows that that I listen to, because um, once in a while I'll check out some of the other shows. Like I think there's, um, uh, oh gosh, now I can't remember the name, but it was like two swingers couple swinger cast. Oh yeah, and uh, and uh, you know, and they end up saying the same thing. 
You know, it's like, well, I just ask her, you know, <laughs> like it's, it sounds like common sense. Like, well, how did you figure out this? Well, I asked her. <laughs> Crazy talk. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's, you know, because it's just not done. It's, I don't know. There's, there's such a failure to, to communicate. Like you met and you were attracted to each other and there was all this chemistry and magic and excitement. And then something happens. And it stops and there's no talking. Yeah. it Actually, that reminds me of, I made the mistake really early on of calling into a mainstream radio show when they were asking about threesomes. Oh. And they're like, oh, who's had a threesome? Ah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. And so I called in. And it's funny because what they wanted to know was, what, what, what do you do the next morning? I mean, isn't that awkward? And I'm like, who the? <laughs> Frack, are you people having threesomes with, like, some stranger you pick up off the street? Pick up in a bar, yeah. Like, you treat them the same way you would any sex partner. You know, you're polite, you make them breakfast, you take a shower together, <laughs> you know, you ask them to text you when they get home safely, you, you treat them like a person. That's what you do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And they just, they, they were laughing their butts off. They thought it was crazy that I would make breakfast for a sexual partner after a threesome. Like apparently you're supposed there's you're supposed to be embarrassed and ashamed and just kick them out the door. I guess I, I'm not sure what other people think they're supposed to do, but that's what they seem to think. I don't know, and uh, it was funny because um when like before Form Spring shut down or went defunct or whatever, I had a Form Spring question that somebody said like you know oh like what's the craziest thing I've you know, craziest thing I've done in bed or something like that. And I'm like, well, besides threesomes, I'm very vanilla. And like one of my friends like messaged me, he's like, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, but it's true. I'm very vanilla. I don't do anything like really wild. I just don't. Um, but I'm, you know, but I'm more than happy to do perfectly mundane type things. <laughs> with people. It's true. You know, the more people I talk to, the more I realize that, uh, just like normal is relative, mundane is relative, and kinky is yeah. relative. Um, yeah. What other people think is crazy and kinky to me is just, that's like a regular Tuesday night. And other people that go into all what I consider like crazy, kinky things, I, you know, uh, to them, they're like, I do this all the time. That's That's just how I am. That's normal. That's not kinky. Uh, so, you know, it's all relative. And it, it doesn't, I don't think it's really helpful to say somebody is more or less kinky or vanilla or whatever than somebody else. Uh, it, you know, we, we self-define however we self-define. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's how I say it. I'm like, well, I'm vanilla and people are like, but no, you're not. And I'm like, uh, why? <laughs> I'm like, um, cause I, cause I was with a girl for a while. Like, I'm just not sure like where, what, what point am I Rocky Road? <laughs> You know, I remember watching an episode of Sex and the City back in the day, and uh, I think it was a Kim Cattrall character, uh, Samantha, and she was saying, oh, we had sex every way you could have sex. So I'm like, cool. And I'm thinking, okay, so that's oral and anal and vaginal. And then they, they showed the scenes, and they just had sex in different positions. And I'm like, that's oh. not every way you could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's not every way you can have sex. That's just... Five, you know, three different positions. That's not that weird. Again, for me, that's a normal Friday night. <laughs> and but again, it's 
first of all, it was TV, so there are limitations as to what you can show. And and second, you know, what's what's kinky for one person may be perfectly boring for another. It's all just about, you know, just talking about sex and figuring out where your paths align. Yeah, that's that's true. And actually, now that you, you know we're talking about TV, it was one of the questions that I was going to ask you is how you think uh, polyamory is being handled in contemporary media because I know there's been some new every once in a while a new show comes out that tries to address the subject. Um, but it was like everybody assumes that we're sister wives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's nope. it's better than some of the things they used to assume. Um, it, it's been interesting tracking Polly in the media. And by the way, if you, if anybody's curious about it, um, this guy named Alan does this great blog called um, uh, it's Polly. It's Polly Emery in the news. And I think it's, oh, I always get the website wrong. It's like Polly in the media There's a link on my site. Um, and so he tracks all the mentions of Polly in the media and even does, you know, in-depth analysis of mentions in the news, a lot of stuff that I just don't have time to report on. He's really fabulous. Um, so if you're curious, that's a really great resource. But, you know, one thing I've noticed over the last, you know, nine years that I've been doing the podcast is that it used to be that people really didn't have any concept of what poly was. They'd never heard the word polyamory. They had no idea. So they thought it was swinging or they thought it was one of those weird Mormon cults where everybody has to wear prairie dresses and their hair in braids. And one of the benefits of having more references to poly in the media is that I've noticed there's been a change in the type of coverage. Nine years ago, the coverage was all the police raided a swing club and your neighbors could be swingers. And, you know, what they did was they raided a, you know, a, a swing or a poly sex club. Um, and it was all, you know, expose, yellow journalism. And nowadays, the starting point is, hey, some people are poly. What is that like? Like they've kind of gone past a lot of the smearing and into more of the like those articles are boring now. So they're looking for more news. So now they're getting angles on how people actually do it. And it's more likely they'll do personal essays or an expose as to how this one triad or quad does poly. And hey, this might be an option for you. So the tenor a lot of, of a lot of the print coverage has changed. And also in terms of on uh in terms of television and other media, shows like uh, Big Love and Sister Wives have done us a, a bit of a service, also uh, polyamory married and dating. Uh, even though most polyamorous I know disagree heartily with the way poly is portrayed in the media because it's not realistic. Well, the truth is that realistic polyamory is boring. It is people living their lives. It is not good TV. So you're not going to yeah. see that on TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it. I mean, se sex on TV is is usually like not portrayed realistically. Exactly. So. I remember everybody's hair is perfect and their makeup is perfect. Exactly. And, but and everybody has flat stomachs. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the good thing about all the all those shows, um, while some were scripted and some were semi reality shows, has been that uh, the public is in general maybe a little more aware. Like maybe they've heard the word, uh, maybe they have a general idea of what it means, and maybe the first thing they think of is not necessarily swingers or Mormon cults. Um, not that there's anything wrong with either of those. Some of my best friends are swingers. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's how they do it. That's exactly. Exactly. But there's a little bit more of an awareness. So there's um, a little bit more common ground. People still think, tend to think it's pretty weird and they can have knee-jerk reactions based on their own experiences, especially with cheating. Um, but at least there's a bit more familiarity. Now, when we have 
I, I'm convinced that we'll really have come of age when we have a poly sitcom, like a poly Will and Grace. Um, it was yeah, funny. Very- it was just a sitcom. It wasn't necessarily about the gay. It was just that the gay character was funny, right? So when we have a poly sitcom, <laughs> right, right. If I, if they yeah. did if they did a new Threes Company, <laughs> exactly a Threes Company where Three really was company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. There, there even was, um, and I'm completely spaced on the name, but there, somebody had uh, sent me through Twitter a a poly web comic. There are a couple of poly web comics, yeah. Oh, there it is, Kimchi Cuddle. Yes, um, there's a link to that on the sidebar of my blog as well that has a link of poly blogs and resources. Yeah, and that one's funny. They're funny. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, So it's nice when, um, you know, people are just, I don't know, able to sort of, like I said, the when you can mix humor in with something, people might re- respond a little bit easier, you know, less scared, like, oh, what is this thing? If you just be like, oh, no, this is a funny thing, then maybe they'll read it and then they'll see the humor and then through the humor, they'll see the relationships. I, I agree. And uh, I know that polyamorous tend to take themselves and their lifestyle really, really seriously. And and I do too, but keep in mind that nobody cares about your lifestyle as much as you do, right? So mm-hmm. we feel the need to defend and define all the time, which is fine. But the truth is that most people really don't care about it that much. And uh, so the less threatening we can appear, the better. <laughs> and humor yeah. is a great tool for that. Yeah. And um, oh, yeah. And so speaking of humor, um, on Kickstarter right now is the Oh Joy Sex Toy um, comic book. Uh, by Erica Moen. I love it. Which <laughs> it's so fabulous. It's just so fabulous. Oh my god! I just and it's one of those things where sometimes I I have to like remember that I'm at work and I can't just click on her links because <laughs> it's like it's like there's gonna be a big pink dildo picture. <laughs> you like, know it. I, <laughs> like it's a cartoon, but I still if somebody sees, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And they reached funding in a day, so congrats. Fabulous. That was that's exciting. So um, when you decided to launch your project and you took all of because you've been a guest speaker for years and years. So you took your notes and did new research or new analysis. I don't know. But you put together the um, eight things uh, you you should know about polyamory before you try it and frack it up. Was that? Yes. Uh, Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty close. Eight things I wish I knew, I think. Yeah, eight um, things I wish I'd known about polyamory before I tried it. And I put fracked it up so because I couldn't say fucked it up, or at least I wasn't sure that I could <laughs> on Amazon. So. Yeah, you never know. So I just put fracked in there to be safe. That's awesome. So when so you decided to take the plunge and um, and work on this, and you didn't go to Kickstarter. You just... You, you know, you did this and you put in the time and I remember you were, um, I've tried to monkey around with some ebook formats too and it sometimes seems like impossible to, to nail that. That was definitely the, the worst part and fortunately um, I started off with deciding that the most important thing was the content and all the formatting could come later. And usually, I mean, before I ever start a presentation, I have to find the perfect PowerPoint template. So fortunately, I didn't do that or I would have driven myself crazy. Um, all the formatting came at the end 
And I learned a lot of lessons. I still don't have it down exactly, but I learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, you know, but in terms of the book, it was, it was really interesting because while I am in real life, I am a marketer, which means that all I'm doing is writing all day. Um, but I never consider myself a very good writer, and I actually enjoy speaking a lot more than I enjoy writing. Um, and I've been, again, I've been doing the podcast for nine years, and uh, I've, I've actually been asked by publishers to do a book, uh, and uh, I always said, no, I don't have time. I have a full-time job. I do the podcast. Um, you know, between that and, and trying to spend a little time with one or two of my hobbies, I really don't have much more time to do anything, and I know how much work it is to write a book. But uh, what happened was I had put together this class called Eight Things I Wish I'd Known About Polyamory. And, and I have to admit, it was actually kind of a thrown-together thing. Like, I was looking for a new class idea. Um, they said they wanted something about poly polyamory. I always hate teaching the same, oh, jealousy, oh, here's, you know, the basic rules, blah, blah. And so I, I put it this class together as, well, here's stuff I wish I'd known. So it was less about, here are the rules of polyamory that are unbreakable, and more about, here's stuff I learned along the way. Maybe you've had these experiences too. And I actually put it together in a fairly short amount of time. It was only about five hours uh, to put together the class. And when I started teaching it, holy crap. I mean, my classes were standing room only. And what I discovered is that people could not shut up. Like I had, to, I couldn't finish teaching the class because everybody always wanted to, to, to comment on everything and say, yes, we did this. Oh, yes, we did this. We found that out too. Oh my God, that's what, yes, yes, yes. And everybody had their perspectives. And after I taught it two or three times and got that same reaction every time, I said, okay, all right, I think I'm onto something here. And keep in mind that I, I love public speaking at conferences, but I have a full-time job. And, you know, some conferences can pay for travel, but sometimes I'm paying for it myself. So I actually only speak at maybe three or four conferences a year, uh, which is not a very big audience if you figure maybe 50 or 100 people per session. So that's, you know, maybe 100, 400 people per year that get to hear that class, max. And I thought, you know what, if there's anything that I could make into an ebook, this would be it. And I'd actually had um, conversations with a journalist friend of mine um, who had also attended a sex positive conference. And uh, she actually runs the Aggie, she's Aggie Says, and she runs the uh, solopoly.net blog on being a solo polyamorist. And she said, you need to do an ebook. And I'm like, haha, yeah, in all my spare time. I know as a marketer, <laughs> as a marketer, I know that is a great way to get your message out there because podcasting is a linear format. Not everybody likes the linear audio format. And I know that that's a good way to get your content out there, but I don't got time. So thanks, but no thanks. But then when this class was so popular and really seemed to resonate with people, I said, okay, you know, here's the thing. The class, the slides for the class are my outline. So I've already got the, the two hardest things, which is A, a topic that you know resonates with your following, B, a following, and then I have another thing, C, an outline. So that's like 90% of the work right there. Yeah, that's um, because I, I'm big with outlines too. Like I need it or I never get to the point, you know, yeah. like whatever the end or the plot, whether it's fiction. Exactly. You know, what, what have you. And, you know, thinking that, okay, you uh, – um, 
because you you talk about how you can, you can be like you need to have everything like properly organized and everything. I knew that you would have slides, and that you've shared them. That's one of the things is you know when you've done a, a conference, you'll you know you've posted those slides, and uh, so it's sort of like okay, so people can like who weren't there can see what the content will be. That way, the next announcement of the next convention, you know, maybe they could think about you know harder if they can go if right. they can go and be there because they know what to expect out of that show um yeah like you know so but then thinking about outlines it's like oh yeah you just you have it because you you know i've seen some bad slides <laughs> i've seen some really i've yeah I, I had had a had a company meeting where they literally filled one of the slides with a spreadsheet of m- microscopic numbers nobody could read yeah I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> well, the good news is I was a presentation consultant for like 15 years. So my slides tend to be fairly powerful. Uh, they're not all winners, but they, they tend to be on the, you know, at least not sucky side. Um, yeah. But, you know, the genius, which was kind of unintentional, it was just sheer laziness. But the genius of that particular approach is that I never had a blank page. I never had to sit down and say, okay, what topic is the most relevant? How will I address that topic? I'd already done that with the presentation. And because presentations are easy for me to put together because I've been doing it for so long, and I, I think in bullet points, so it's very easy for me to you know, put together a talk based on a vague idea. I have a process for that. That part was already done. So the writing, that whole staring at a blank page, that didn't happen. So basically, I told myself that the writing is really just transcribing my notes. It's really, it's looking at the slide going, okay, here's what I talked about on the slide and just writing it out. And, and basically I just did a brain dump. I, you know, I didn't even edit the first time. I just kind of, I threw everything down on the page. I'm like, it sucks. I don't care. I I really think the key to getting this book out was that I didn't care. I kept saying, you know, fuck it. (laughs) I'm just getting it down. It's better than nothing. It's, it's this, it's either this or they don't get a book at all. So, I'm going to do this and, and setting my standards really low and just giving myself permission to, to think something was sucky and having that be okay is the only way I got the book done. <laughs> That's actually something that I hear a lot of professional writers say, like, you know, you're saying that, you know, this is something you did and you don't consider yourself a writer, but you know, guys from uh, Stephen King and Chuck Wendig and uh, you know, Joe Lansdale, they're like, get it down. You don't understand there's going to be revisions. Get it all down. Just, you know, if you write one paragraph and it sucks and you delete it tomorrow, you still wrote for the day. Yes. Yeah. And I would do things like, like publish my goals on social media and say, okay, I'm trying to get 5,000 words this week. And I'd be like, I wrote 300 or 3,942 words. Yay. And so giving myself those public milestones um, and also kind of, you know, as I'm, again, from a marketing perspective, that also helped build excitement with my audience. Um, right. Because, but what happened was my ebook was about, um, oh, shoot, it was, it was under, it was only like 30,000 words. I mean, it, it really wasn't even a full yeah, it book. It came yeah. to like, I think it was like 60 pages or something. And I, you know, and for me, because of how I read it, I, it was too seedings, if you will, uh, yeah. you know, for me. Other people would just like breeze through that. But yeah, you could very um, easily, you could read through it very easily. And um, I just, I didn't feel the need for it to be any particular length. I had actually thought it would be maybe 50,000 words. But when I started writing, I realized with my writing, with my writing style, which is 
like I speak, it's pretty straightforward. And, 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 and just the content I didn't, you know, from podcasting, I know that there's no need to fill space. You don't, you know, you don't babble just because you need to fill five more minutes. When you're done, you're done. And um, so I just, yeah, I love that. Yeah, That's... I just, I, I wrote everything from the, from the slides. And when I was done, I was done. And then I went through and did a couple of revisions. But uh, it was, it was really nice because basically what that meant was it only took, um, I think it was maybe, I want to say it was like four to six weeks. And that was just weekends. Like the only time I could really sit down and write was on the weekend. So I would take, you know, two to three hour blocks on the weekend um, and do the, and, and, and just sit and write. But within like four or I think maybe five weekends, the brain dump was done. And the rest of it was revision and formatting and all that other stuff. But when you think about like writing a book, which I always thought you have to take a year off and blah, blah. No, you don't. If you do things in these phases, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was that the writing part only took, you know, about four to five weeks. Did you use Scrivener or some other application? Scrivener was recommended to me, and I will probably use that in the future. Um, I was told to use Scrivener or OpenOffice. I didn't have either one. I had already started in Word, and even though everybody told me not to use Word, and they were right, I went ahead and used it just because I didn't want to disturb the writing process with the formatting and learning a new tool process. Um, but I probably will use Scrivener in the future because the conversion was a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like one of those things, what I tend to do is I just use my Google Drive mm -hmm. at, for my writing, and then I end up just like copying and pasting into something later. Because I got, I was like, you know what, for for the things that I do, like typing and format wise, I don't need Word. I didn't even need Open Office anymore. I was like, I just need to type. Yeah. And, you know, I do some basic whatever, bullet points and some bolding and whatever, and that's it. Um, but I, I got Scrivener, and the nice thing about it is it's relatively inexpensive, and you can install it, I think, on as many of your own devices as you want. Yeah. Um, because I I know that there's, like, I don't know, a, a lot of those pricey yeah. software <laughs> things. They're like, oh, you can install it once, and then you have to buy another license. And it's like, fuck that. Yeah, so because I'm a sucker for beautiful formatting, I made a classic mistake, and I bought a an ebook template. Um, and I don't know what they were thinking with an ebook template. It was basically, it was a word format. I guess it's ebook, but if you were going to print it out. And it had drop caps, which I love. Okay. And um, if anybody there has, has ever tried to publish an ebook, it is all but impossible to do drop cats because of the way, uh, because of the fact that different screens and different readers are formatted differently. So you never know. You can't control how the text is going to run. And the idea behind a drop cap is it goes, you know, down what three lines or so, and the text runs around it. You just can't do that. And I was like, no, I have to be able to do my beautiful drop caps. And <laughs> you know, I wasted an evening or two figuring out that no, you just can't do that. Um, um, but I had a wonderful friend, uh, my friend uh, J.D. Sawyer, who is a great podcaster and who has done many, 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 many books himself, very patiently sat down with me. He took like an hour or two of his time. And I'm like, this doesn't work. <laughs> and he said, you know, don't use drop caps. Here's what you can do. Just capitalize the first few words of the sentence. It gives the feeling of the break yes. like a drop yeah. cap. And I'm like, I don't want to. Okay, you're right. So he was very helpful. He even gave me some of his CSS style sheets when I was still trying to do it in CSS. And okay. um, 
uh, he was very helpful. And I, again, in terms of the formatting, I think some of the formatting took longer than some of the writing, but I would definitely do it differently next time. Next time I'm going to use either OpenOffice or Scrivener and then just do uh, the conversion using Calibre and then clean up in Sigil and be done with it. Okay. Um, so this is, you did it and you uploaded it. Did it go, was it CreateSpace maybe that like Amazon's self-publishing branch or did you like have a publisher then take care of it and getting it on Amazon? No, I'm cheap. And so I did it all myself. That's all right. Well, you know, part of it too is as a marketer, I wanted to be able to, t I, I, I wanted to go through the process myself instead of paying someone else to do it, even though it would have made a lot of sense in terms of um, my relationship <laughs> with my partner <laughs> that, you know, think about it. If I'm writing on the weekends, that's the only time I can spend with him. So he had to yeah. give up a lot in order for me to write this book. Thank you, love <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. Um, but I also I wanted to learn so that the next time it would be easier. And the idea is that you don't have just one ebook, but I'd like to build up a library of several different ones that are helpful. I just, um, you know, I'm going to do one at a time. So uh, I got advice from a friend. I so I called, I skyped several of my friends, going, "Okay, how do I do this again? What, what would you tell me?" And they all gave me great advice. And uh, the first was that since Amazon is by far the biggest retailer, like 90% of your sales are going to come through Amazon. Don't worry about the other formats at first. Focus on Amazon Kindle and then everything, do everything else later. And so I did. I, I did some research and I found Kindle Direct Publishing. And so I just uploaded the file myself. And uh, I, cre I designed my cover last minute. And I do all the designing at work of all our documents and website and things. So I thought I could design something, but um, my cover design was just horrible. It was just it, it's terrible. It was like the ugliest cover you've ever seen. But I wanted, I wanted to get it up because I was speaking at this conference and I wanted to debut the ebook that same day um, just for my own scheduling and do my launch that day. So I'm like, you know, fuck it. I'm just doing this cover. I can change it later. It's the glory of eBooks. You can change it later. So I uploaded the cover. It was hideous, but um, everything, <laughs> everything uploaded and was available uh, the next day and people started buying it, which was very exciting for me uh, because keep in mind that my podcast has always been free. The only thing I've ever charged for was an app. And that's because the, uh, the company that developed it for me wouldn't let me give away the app for free since they did the, the development for free. So I had to charge at least one ninety nine, um, which is what I charged. Um, but everything else I've ever done for the last nine years has been free. I haven't been paid for any speaking for any of the podcasts, nothing. Um, people give donations. Thank you. Um, but nothing was a for pay because I wanted it to be accessible. So it's kind of cool to see people go, Going, oh my God, they're paying like $8 for my book. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I did do after the fact was uh, I looked into finding somebody to d redesign the cover. And have you, have you used this site called Fiverr? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen it. I haven't used it, but I have, I have scrolled through Me it. Me too. I had only, I had only seen it before. I hadn't used it, but I did a quick look and uh, there were all kinds of people on Fiverr. For those who are listening, it's, it's five, F-I-V-E, and then rr.com. And it's basically people post stuff that they'll do for $5. And, you know, some of it's kooky stuff, like I'll take a picture of your name in front of the Hollywood sign. Um, and others, like I'll animate your logo for five bucks. Um, and there are a couple of people that did ebook cover design. And so I'm thinking, wow, five bucks. I mean, even if it only takes you 15 minutes, 
that's not very much, but I figured I'll try it. And if I've lost five bucks, I've lost five bucks. So I uh, found a designer whose work that I liked and I sent her my specifications. Um, she did one iteration. It was close. So I gave her some corrections, uh, sent those back. The next one was a total winner. Absolutely beautiful. Way better than I could have done myself. And it, it ended up costing 10 bucks because I paid an extra five to get a, um, an editable file so that if I needed to change any of the elements, I could. But, you know, for 10 bucks, I got this really gorgeous so ebook cover. I love it. It's, it's like these three little fingers with happy faces scrawled. They're so cute. It is. And the thing is, in my presentations, I actually have a couple of um, images like that where, where people have, have drawn things on thumbs or toes. And it's like a cute little thing. So it's actually very reminiscent of the original presentation as well. Oh, that's really great. Yeah, I thought it was really cute. And I like that, that the fingers weren't identifiable as male or female or, you know, there's the feet sticking out of the bed or, you know, I, I like that the I like that the fingers were non-gender specific, <laughs> non-gender specific. And it's not and it's not sexual. Exactly. It's, you know. I wanted it to be very approachable and have it not be too sexy. That was actually the issue with the first cover is it was a little too super sexy and um, which is great. But I didn't want that to put people off. I wanted it to be very approachable. Just something you could just, you know, sit down and talk with your partner about no big deal. Yeah, I mean, this is, and the, you know, because it's, it's not sexy, it's, it's talking more like a, a psychology class, almost like, um, it just sort of, I don't want to say it was textbooks, that makes it sound dry. <laughs> but, um, but it it's, it comes across like, oh, an exercise, like, these are things for you to, to do and take home and do for homework. And like the user manual, yeah. you know, like how to write your own user manual for dating. Like, what do you need? What are you looking for? You know, those are the sorts of things that I can picture. Like, you know, you've now completed chapter two. Rip out the worksheet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I wanted to put in some bonus content there. And I realized when I, I referred to the user manual early on, which I've been talking about for years. And if you go to the site, um, polyweekly.com and do a search for user manual, you'll find my sample user manual will actually post mine online. Um, but I've never actually published a template for it, like the questions that you answer in order to write your own user manual. And so I thought that was a nice sort of bonus to throw into the ebook. Um, so if people hated the content, at least they had the great free template for the user manual that would be useful for them in the future. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, if you think about it, that was, um, if you've ever had to take a resume workshop, um, I, I've done that a couple of times when I was looking for work. And one of them through, was through my employer. Another one was a friend of mine who said, you know, he knew I was struggling and he's like, I'll take a look at your resume for you. And he sent me back like this 10 page questionnaire. And it was, you know, you know, questions about you you know, getting to know you and they, you know, when you have somebody else do your resume for you, it's just like you can have somebody do your online dating profile for you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, and, you know, other, other people are going to pick out the things that stand out based on what you say about yourself. So I thought that, you know, those sorts of exercises, you know, it's not something that you normally necessarily see. Um, I don't know, would you file this under self-help? Is that? 
You know, I actually can't remember what category I put it in. Sometimes uh, it depends on what categories are offered to me based on, you know, whatever I'm, <laughs> whatever tool I'm using. Um, sure. Sometimes it's under self, self-help. Usually I try to put it under dating and relationships, um, relationships, marriage, um, sometimes even family uh, is, a, is an appropriate category. Sometimes sexual health. But again, in the sexual health category, I think people expect more how-tos. And this is really more steadfastly focused on relationships and communication. So I suppose right. it could be self I suppose it could go in the self-help category. I'm not sure. Well, um, because some of the the books that we have in common that like the book recommendations that you gave were books that I had just listened to on Audible. So um, I have, you know, no problem recommending the same exact books, but like Tristan Taramina's opening up and uh, Janet Hardy and Dossie Eason's The Ethical Slut. Mm -hmm. They go thoroughly into things like how do you practice safe sex with multiple partners and what does this really mean? And do you really have any idea what chlamydia is? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And like you just did a herpes episode and it was, it it was, Oh no, HPV, HPV episode. And it was just like, Oh my God, this is not the information I was told 20 years ago. It isn't. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation (laughs) out there. And that's the great thing about eBooks is that that information can be updated (laughs) as the years go on, as we get more and more studies, more and more information. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that I can do some more updates so it won't be outdated quite so quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- those two books are, are always the first two I recommend for polyamory. Tristan Terramino's opening up is great for, it's a great resource. You don't even need to read it cover to cover. But what she does is she goes through the different relationship uh, structures, which is something that everyone wants to know. They want to know, well, if I'm not monogamous, what does it look like? Does it have right. to be a triad? Does it have to be a V? Are we talking two couples? Everybody always assumes that the ultimate goal is to live together, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, and there are all sorts of poly networks and polycules and all kinds of things. And she goes through each one and gives a definition and a checklist of like, this works well for people who are like this. And then some great anecdotes and some examples. She had a great research group for that. She, she interviewed like over 150 um, poly groups and recorded their stories in the book. So it's really a great resource. And the ethical slut is just, you know, it's it's the, the Bible for polyamorous folks. A little more theoretical versus practical, um, but it kind of gives you the idea of the philosophy behind loving more and loving more than one person and how the expansion of love is a wonderful thing in your life. And uh, so I kind of recommend both of those hand in hand, one for the practical side and the other for the sort of philosophical slash woo-woo side. Right. And, you know, and they have real personal accounts. I mean, they, they talked to people and, you know, changed their names and all, but, you know, use these real stories of sometimes, you know, an example, uh, an example of when something didn't work, you know, those are helpful too. And I know that you go over that in like in the different shows and stuff like that, you get, first of all, people that send you the emails that you read about what didn't work. And then you have your happy poly moments that do work. Yeah. I wanted there to be balance. (laughs) Yes. Um, So that's always exciting. And what's really cool though, is in your book, you're like, Hey, just so you know, I am not going to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. These are out there. You know, I recommend them. Everybody recommends them. (laughs) You know, that's, 
Yeah. There's there's no point in, in redoing that when, like you said, when you've got your own like Bible for your lifestyle, there it is. Yeah, and that that was actually again one of the beauties of, of of writing the book based on a class as opposed to saying I need to write a book on polyamory. Here's what it's going to be, because there's so many there's so many great books out there. I didn't want to replicate what had been done in any one of them, which is why I didn't write anything for so long. I'm like read Kristen Chermino's opening up, the end. You're done. Like I yeah. I can't do any better than that. She's got all the information right there. Um, but your, yeah, yours comes um, just like your, you know, the lectures and stuff comes across as uh, comes across as a lecture, as an education, as opposed to when you're if you're reading a certain book and it feels like a thesis, you know. Yeah, hers, hers is definitely more research based. And, you know, what's interesting is a, a lot of friends have had difficulty getting poly books published lately because we all want to publish how to and we want to publish research. And the publishers are actually primarily these days looking for memoirs. If you say that you're willing to do a memoir of, you know, my life as a poly housewife or whatever, they're all over that. Um, memoirs are really selling these days. Um, but if you want to do something that's how to do polyamory or eight pitfalls of polyamory, there's not a lot of interest from a traditional book publisher. And um, Without intending to, I realized that what I kind of did with this ebook was I kind of went halfway. It, it really is a bit of a how-to, but I'm couching it in terms of um, these are lessons that I learned about polyamory, and I'm sort of telling some of my poly stories to illustrate why I determined that this is the best lifestyle for me. Um, but then again, again, I will continue and say this may not be the best way to do this for you, here are some questions you should ask yourself to figure out what works for you. Um, so it's a little bit of a memoir and then I tell some personal stories, but it's structured more like my classes, which are, you know, here are some, some basic guidelines you need to keep in mind and some of the questions you should ask yourself in order to, to figure out what works best for you. And one of the things that um that I was even going to ask you, like we booked the show and I was like, I had just bought the book that day. So I'm like, okay, now I got to like read the book. <laughs> oh, now you have to read it. <laughs> um, I'm like, you know, because I would normally like, I take my time reading. Like I am a very slow reader because I'm like, I listen to audiobooks all the time because I have a really long drive. Mm. So um, I, so as soon as I started getting through it, I got to the part where you answered one of my what one of my questions was going to be, which is is polyamory or non monogamy in orientation? Uh, because I, there's always just like everything that's sort of debatable as to what the definition of polyamory is. I was just like I had just said to somebody that to me it's an orientation, and then I'm like you know maybe I don't know it just feels that way, and then I was reading and I got to that part in your book where you're like well. Lusty guy says this, but I, you know, but I, maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's no, um, it, uh, we found the gay gene. We don't have the polygene. So we don't know. There's no specific scientific research saying that human beings are wired to be polyamorous. Now, if you look at the biological research, it is clear that human beings are designed to, for um, pair bonding with extra pair couplings. So that basically means we mate um, with one partner, usually until the kids are raised, but then we also are prone to having affairs outside of that pair coupling. Um, and biologically, there is the most evidence for that being what humans are naturally inclined to. But I feel like it's kind of a, um, 
a false argument. Like people don't really want to know what we are biologically or scientifically. What they want to know is, am I normal? <laughs> and yes, am I okay? Exactly. And, and that's an in truth that we don't really have a lot of proof that uh, whether human beings are hardwired to be poly or whether some people are hardwired to be poly versus simply having it be a lifestyle choice. I don't really have the answer to that. I know that I can simply tell you that some people believe it's a lifestyle choice and others believe it's an orientation and they've always been this way. Like some people feel like they were always gay. Um, so yeah, because so there I was you go. In the middle. Like I was, I, yeah, no, I was, and that's just it. I was like literally in the middle. I'm like, just because I feel this way doesn't mean I couldn't, you know, do whatever it takes to be monogamous. Like it just needs to be exactly what I want. Yeah. You know, and because it needs to, you, you get fulfilled in relationships. So if I'm not, I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think you actually just used two words that I, I really wish more people would use. Oh, okay, Especially good. with referring to Polly. And that is for me. Yeah. Because uh, just as with monogamy, nobody can tell you what your relationship should look like. You can get, you'll get advice from everyone and a lot of it will be conflicting. You know, some people will will tell you to um, spend a lot of time with your partner and dote on them. Other people will tell you, yeah, my partner doesn't like that. So here's what you should do. Um, sleep in separate beds, have separate sinks. That's what makes a good marriage. Everybody's got an opinion. And the truth is that for you, you are the only one that knows what's really going to work for you. And talking to your partner is the best way to figure that out, not necessarily taking other people's advice word for word. And with respect to polyamory, because we are constructing new relationships and that are uh, not part of the societal norm, we do tend to create something that is customized for us. And so it's also one of the reasons why the book is about eight things that I wish I'd known about polyamory. And I talk about how I structured my relationship and what worked for me, but with the caveat that what worked for me may not work for you. You may find something different. You may question yourself and say, this one style of polyamory doesn't work for me, like a triad, that's not going to work for me. But partnered non-monogamy uh, that Tristan Termino describes, that's it. That is what that, that will work for me. So we need to understand that while there are many opinions about what polyamory is and isn't and what relationship styles work and don't and how you should and shouldn't act, uh, truly the only person that can determine that is you and, and your partners. Yeah, and that's, I, you know, again, that's good for life. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just good for life. Just know what, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, just get to know yourself. And um, it drives me crazy when I have, I have friends because I've been single for a, a while now. And, and I'm always talking about how, you know, how I've been struggling to find dates with the right people and, and they're just like, just enjoy your time alone. Just enjoy your time. I'm like, I am alone with myself a lot. <laughs> I, I am well aware of myself at this point. I mean, there's, yes, everybody needs, should take time, whether you're in a relationship or not, to just get that, that sort of moment in time, self-reflection, get all zen, whatever it takes. Exactly. 
Um, but it doesn't matter just because I'm single that I should be doing that. I think everybody should be doing that. It's true. Everybody should have some type of private time alone where they center and focus on um, themselves and what it is that they want. And then you can go back and be a good person to your partner or spouse or spouses or what have you. Yeah, exactly. So stop telling single people that. <laughs> that makes me guilty like I'm supposed to be like meditating 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to read um, one of my favorite little lines of the book um, before I let you go, because I know that you have a, an, an engagement um, uh, on this one page. It says, there's a story that you might have heard about an old wife complaining to her old husband. You never tell me you love me. And his responding with something like, I told you I loved you when I married you. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. And it, this was like how you you meet, you communicate, you hit it off, and then you stop. <laughs> and <laughs> happily like, ever after, the end. The Nothing end. ever changes. Yeah. Happily, the end. I yeah. cracked up when I read that. It's so true. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard that that joke, but I've heard that in various formats many times over the years. And when Lusty Guy and I did our vows um, for a commitment ceremony last fall, we one of the things that we committed to was to do the daily thousand we called it call it the thousand daily kindnesses doing things like he texts me every morning when i get to the office saying i just got up here here's how i'm feeling how are you and um we always chat before i go to bed we don't we don't live together uh, currently so we'll always uh, text and chat throughout the day we'll chat before i go to bed he does things like when i stay over at their house he always makes sure i have a glass of water um little things like that uh he will offer to drive me home when i'm tired um he'll offer to uh he'll sometimes borrow my car and he always washes it before he gives it back there're all these daily kindnesses that Sometimes in a long-term relationship, it's really easy to forget. Um, you think, okay, it's just the dishes. But sometimes doing the dishes for your partner when your partner comes home from a terrible workday where you know, like, she's had a migraine and she had a tough workday, you know, coming home to the dishes being done is a big deal. And that's one of those thousand daily kindnesses. And I don't think that we should ever stop doing that. I don't think that we should ever stop being engaged with showing our partner how valuable the relationship is to us. Right. And that sort of leads into one of the other things that you talked about, which was um, like you're, you're, there's no scoring system. Working no. on that. <laughs> I just got a call from Lusty Guy a couple episodes ago. Actually, it was probably a year ago, come to think of it. Huh. We talked about doing a relationship app where you could actually give points to your partners for doing awesome things. Like you walk the dog in the rain so I didn't have to. You get five points. <laughs> <laughs> But currently, you're right. There is no scoring system. There's <laughs> no scoring system. It's just, you know, because taking out the garbage might be like something that you think is so simple and somebody else might be like, oh, my God, that's worth 20. Yeah, exactly. Just do it. I want to touch it. Just do it. Exactly. That's how I am with my plague of stink bugs. Oh. Like if I can find a partner tall enough to reach the stink bugs that I get and dispose of them, I would be so thrilled because it's, I call it my, my stink bug parkour every night <laughs> because I, I have to like carefully balance on the edge of the bed, like Ninja Warrior, hang on to this ledge of a center beam going across the ceiling and try to reach for the stink bugs. Oh, that's disgusting. And I just, because it's either, oh. yeah, it's either that or they start dive bombing my, my bedside lamp. Ew. And it's like, I don't want them that close. So I start the parkour. 
Oh, and I feel like Spider-Man, and I'm just like, I'm not Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm going to fall. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be worth a lot of points to me. Yeah. Well, and it's a way of recognizing, too, that um, it's it's – if we did ever come up with this app with this, you know, where you could award points, I think it would be really interesting to see um, how people award different points. I would love for it to be a sliding scale where you do get to decide, oh, you did the dishes. That's nice. You know, I'll give you five points um, versus something that may be more that may seem simpler to the person doing it, but means a lot to you. Um, there are things like, so on the weekends, I work really hard during the week, and on the weekends, I'm really exhausted. So one of the things that Lusty Guy often does for me is, um, if I didn't remember to get food so we could make brunch, she'll offer to go downstairs and do the grocery shopping so I can sit on my butt on the couch. And now to me, that's priceless. I live alone. Nobody ever does shit for me. You know, it's, I don't have people to go shopping for me. Either I do it or it doesn't get done. And to have somebody go down and do something when I don't feel like it, that's like a hundred points right there. That is, that is awesome. But, yeah, that's pretty yeah, awesome. But for him, it's not a big deal. And um, there are other things like, you know, I don't know, sending a card or um, uh, I'm actually helping them paint their house that I don't know if they give me two points or 200 for that, but it's something that I'm comfortable doing. But I think it would be really interesting if you could track over time how many points your partner gives you for certain things so you can see the actual relative value in your partner's eyes versus what you think your partner wants. I think that would be fascinating. But then again, I'm all about the metrics and analytics. As long as it doesn't start an argument and starts a discussion instead. Like, well, why do you feel that that's only two points? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, I think the idea for the app may be flawed, but I, I like I like the idea that in addition to a verbal reward, you could actually gamify it and, and, and give like badges and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Achievement unlocked. Exactly. You sort of have, there you go, you get, you get to have your favorite kind of sex or treat or whatever. For, you know, instead of a gold star. I'm just, I'm just seeing the badge now. Thanks, sweetie. Anal three times in one month. <laughs> you get the anal asshole award. You know? And then you have to come up with clever names for them. <laughs> exactly. one. You're a brownie. Well, actually, part of my idea is I would love it if people could come up with their own badges and then they could share them so maybe somebody yeah. comes up with you know the anal warrior where it's like oh you did anal three times this month woohoo and then somebody else is like three times that's nothing but you know what i want to be like you win the oral oscar um or something and they come up with another badge and so when you see other people's badges you're like "Ooh, i want to earn that one how would i do that <laughs> i think this is very marketable <laughs> <laughs> there you go Lusty guy is going to be so upset that I like talked about this publicly. He thinks somebody's going to steal the idea. <laughs> uh, no, unless you know, I'd be at this point. I'm always astonished that everything isn't already invented. Like you know, it, it just seems like everything's invented. And but um, well, as, do it and do it best. As we say, a lot of people say, "Oh, I could write a book on that," or "I had an idea for that." How many people actually do it? It's not yeah. the idea that's valuable. It's the fucking execution. Plenty of people had great ideas that never got done. It's less dangerous that somebody would steal your idea. The bigger danger is your own laziness and procrastination. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be identical. Because exactly. there's, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a big difference between World of Warcraft and the E.T. game. So both were games, you know, but... Yeah. The, the, you know, one is 
has been uncovered in a landfill that they created. (laughs) Exactly. And the other makes a bajillion dollars a month or something. I don't even know. Um, So, yeah. So even if somebody else thought that they could execute it, it's going to be different. That's true. It would be different. It would be very different. Unfortunately, I think I have to go and take this call. Yes, I know you absolutely do. So, you, guys, you've been listening to Cunning Minx, the delightful and always educational host of Poly Weekly Podcast. So, Minx, quickly give out your, your links so people may find you and your book title so they know what to look up on Amazon. Exactly. So, you can find everything at polyweekly.com. And so, that's where all the episodes are. There's a search box. So, if you're looking for something about jealousy or dating or metamors, you can just Type in the search box and find all the episodes that relate to that. Um, the ebook is actually there as well. It's uh, polyweekly.com forward slash eight dash things dash ebook, or there's just a tab at the top. And if you click on that, you can get a little summary of the book and sign up for the mailing list. Um, actually, it's not a mailing list because I'm not doing a newsletter, but it will be an update list. So maybe two or three times a year, there will be updates that I might share with people. And you can also order the book. Uh, there's a, a link to Amazon from that page. Okay. Do you have any more conventions for this year? Yes. I will be speaking at Catalyst Con West in September on marketing for sex positive educators. And my other session, uh, I don't know if it has been accepted yet or not. And I'm also giving two classes here in Seattle at the Center for Sex Positive Culture on June 15th, uh, Eight Things I Wish I'd Known About Polyamory, and on August 21st, uh, kicking poly drama in the ass, which is sort of a poly 201 class. And you can find information on both of those at, I just realized there's not one landing page for that. <laughs> um, uh, you can go to sexpositiveculture.org, which is the website for the center, and uh, do a search on the calendar for those dates and find the links to register for the class. That's so exciting. Um, I will be uh, June 14th, I don't know about the 15th, but definitely the 14th, going to the New York Special Edition Comic Con, which is just for artists and people in the industry. Um, so it's the basically just the Artist Alley section of the bigger New York Comic Con. So I will be there. And then I just announced, because I just got approval, um, I will be at the Boston Comic Con in the middle of August. Um, or it's like the 8th, 9th, 10th, around there. Um, and I was asked to be on the LGBT panel. Oh, good. For, so um, that's really exciting because I've never given public speaking on that subject before. So I will be talking about LGBT in comics and probably entertainment. I'm sure we'll talk as a whole. So that's, I will be in Boston for the like first time for that show. I've been through the city before. but Congratulations. So, so exciting. Um, so, and you are, of course, um, at Polly Weekly and at Cunning Minx on Twitter as well. That's correct. And I am at Elizabeth Amber or at Topless Amber for my naughty feed um, on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Vodka O'Clock. And as always, we'd love your feedback. So um, let us know what you think. Cheers. Cheers.